This morning, I'm reading from Psalm 98, verses 0 through 3. You can find this and read along in the Pew Bible on page 500 and in the following Jesus Bible on page 616. A Psalm. O sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, if you have little ones first grade and under who would like to go over for our children's worship, uh, parents or Miss Brittany and our other volunteers can walk them over. The kids are just going to let themselves out. They know where they, know where they are headed. Well, as anyone who has been here for longer than a year knows, I love Advent and Christmas. I'm a child at heart. It's my favorite time of year. I love the food. I love the fun. And, of course, I love the music. Ah, the music of this season. The Bible is a musical book. You find songs peppered throughout it, and right in the middle of the Bible, you find a a collection of 150 songs intended for worship that we call the Psalms. I try to read a psalm at least every day, and a couple of months ago, I stumbled upon Psalm 98. Now, at first glance, Psalm 98 doesn't seem terribly unique. It sounds like a lot of the other psalms. There's parts from other psalms integrated into it. Despite that... As I was reading it, I was struck by how appropriate it would be as a song for Advent and Christmas. So for these four Sundays in Advent, we're going to be meditating deeply on this one psalm. So let's begin. Let's look again at the uh, opening of the psalm, uh, the uh, kind of title there leading into verse 1. Psalm 98, a psalm. O sing to Yahweh... A new song, for he has done marvelous things. Marvelous things. Advent and Christmas are all about marvelous things. The virgin birth, God made man, the redemption of all things, the return of Christ. These are marvelous things that we should be contemplating and celebrating during this season. What's the first thing that the psalmist says? Look again, verse 1. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous things. The psalm begins with an imperative, a bold imperative, a command. And it's a plural imperative, which means it's a command not just to some of you, but to all of you. And what is the command? All of you sing to Yahweh what? A new song. What's a new song? Kids, where does a new song come from? You pick songs off a tree. Where do, where do songs come from, kids? You ever thought about it? What would you say, Mike? Spotify. <laughs> That's right. New songs are put on Spotify, but they come from somewhere even before Spotify. Isaac, where do they come from? Bands, okay. So somebody in the band has to do what, Abby? You, somebody has to make up a song. That's right. New songs come from songwriters. 
songwriters are taken by some muse and they write a new song. Now, believe it or not, I've written a lot of songs before. I keep, the, I keep that mostly under wraps. And songwriting is not this ecstatic, easy process that we might imagine. Sometimes songwriting takes discipline, it takes effort and care to choose the right words, to communicate the right thing. But the songwriter still has to be inspired by something. They need an object of affection, an object of attention, an object of excitement, some focus that draws a new song out of them. Just like the psalmist says, oh, sing to Yahweh a new song. Why? What is it that motivates this new song? For he, Yahweh God, has done marvelous things. And here's my belief. I believe that every one of you has a song to sing. That when God says, sing, plural imperative, sing a new song, he was talking to you. He's inviting you into the risk and the beauty of writing a new song. A new song to be sung. So here's my challenge to you for this Advent. That every one of you would write a new song. You, yes, you. That you would write a song. And I know that most of you have never written a song before, and that's fine. Chris and I are going to lead you, walk you through this process over the next month. But just because you haven't done it before, just because you don't feel like you're a musical person, doesn't mean that you can't write a new song. You have a song to sing. So these four Sundays in Advent will be sort of a songwriting workshop for you. And to help facilitate that, I've gotten you your first Christmas gift of the year. Deacons, if you could uh, please come. Warren and Adam, y'all, they're talking back here. Come on, guys. So I've got your first Christmas gift for you. Now, I know some of you are here from out of town. That's okay. I know some of you are here from other churches on vacation. Uh, That's okay, too. Everybody gets one of these. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how artistic you are or not. And Henry and Ian, y'all can help, too, because we've got a lot of these. It's a songwriting journal. So Merry Christmas early. Happy Advent, I guess I should say. So each of you is going to get a songwriting journal to help facilitate this process uh, this season. Now, while they're handing it out, you can still listen to me. You don't have to, to watch them. You know these guys. I want you to carry this journal with you everywhere you go for the next four weeks. I've got mine in my pocket. I've been testing it. This is what it's going to look like after about three weeks because I've been carrying mine in my pocket for about uh, three weeks. So keep it in your pocket. Keep it in your purse. Keep it in your backpack if you're allowed at school, wherever you go. And here's why. First, We're not keeping sermon notes in our worship guides during Advent. You're going to keep your sermon notes here. And the reason is we're going to be giving you practical tips for how to write this song during Advent. So I want you to carry your sermon notes around with you over the next four weeks. Second, keep your journal with you because you never know when inspiration is going to hit you. You'll get an idea for your song. You'll need to write it down. So keep it with you. Third, keep it with you so that you can work on your song in your random moments of stopping. So rather than looking at Facebook or Instagram or the newspaper, take five minutes and work on your song. Now you may think, what, what's the point of this? I'm not a songwriter. I don't want to write a song. And in fact, deacons, if anybody said, no, I don't want that journal, go back and give it to them. I want them to have it. I want you to give it a shot. And here's why. During the Christmas season... 
There are so many things vying for your attention, your affection, your anxiety, that having this, a process of a new song, will help to disconnect you from all that and keep your focus on what we're really about, celebrating the birth of the Lord and the new day that he has ushered in. And as a final administrative note on the journals, Chris Talley is going to lead a songwriting workshop midweek, about three weeks into this, to help those of you who are like super into this. And that will be more of the music stuff. I'm not talking about how to write music. We're going to focus on the words in this space. But Chris and I will help you with that in two or three weeks. But how do you start with writing a new song? Well, it helps to be inspired, not in the theological sense. But how can you find the inspiration that you need to write a new song? So grab your journals and get ready to write because your first sermon point is coming. I'm going to write it down too so that I can time things correctly. So here's, I'm going to give you four practices today to help you find your inspiration for writing your song. And here's practice number one that you can write down in your worship guide. Number one, take time to wonder. Number one, take time to wonder at God's saving miracles. Take time to wonder at God's saving miracles. So Psalm 98 begins with the psalmist telling us to sing to Yahweh a new song. But then he tells us why. What is the reason? For he has done marvelous things. A simpler translation would say, Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done miracles, or for he has performed wonders. Why do we write a new song and sing a new song to Yahweh? It's because he does miracles. Powerful acts that stir wonder and awe in the human heart. When was the last time you took time to wonder at God's saving miracles? Kids and and grown-ups too, when you think of miracles that God did in the Bible, what are the miracles that are the biggest, the most amazing, the ones that really make you say, wow, our God is powerful? What are some of those big miracles that God has done? Let me hear some of them. Creating the earth is a pretty big miracle. I'll give you that. What's some other ones? Healing the sick. Pretty powerful. What are the biggest of the big? Crossing the Red Sea. That's a real big one. What was that? Dying for people. That was huge. Yes, that Jesus would take and then be raised from the dead. Right? That's a huge Miracle. When, when I look at the biggest miracles that God ever performed, wonder-inducing miracles like the, the plagues in Egypt, like the crossing of the Red Sea, the virgin birth, God incarnated in human flesh, the resurrection, all these wondrous miracles had a goal. They had a purpose. They had an ends. And what was the goal? What was the point of these marvelous works? Look again at our text, verse 1. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous Things, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Yahweh has made known his salvation. The greatest miracles that God ever did were aimed at saving his people. In the Exodus, God saved his people. Through the virgin birth and the incarnation, God saved his people. 
through the resurrection and the second coming, God saves his people. All these miracles that God has done are about God saving his people. Salvation is from God alone. He alone has done it with his right hand, his holy arm. It is his salvation, the, verse, the psalm says. And when we consider, when we take time to wonder at God's miraculous works, what do we see? The amazing things he's done to save his people. And the proper response to these works is awe, worship. Here's the irony. When you listen to the skeptics, when you listen to the academy, when you listen to the enlightened class in the West, they'll tell you to read these marvelous stories with skepticism. There's no way Jesus was born of a virgin. It's impossible. There must be some other explanation. There's no way that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's a conspiracy. There's no way that the Red Sea was parted by the hand of God. It must have been a natural occurrence. But here's the funny thing about miracles. Miracles are supposed to be hard to believe. That's what makes them miracles. So while the modern man looks at miracles with a skeptical eye, They're intended to fill us with awe and wonder. I don't understand how the resurrection happened physiologically. I don't understand the physics of the Red Sea crossing because that's not the point. The point is this, for my jaw to drop open at the power of God and to revel in the fact that he loves people enough to break his own rules to save them. You are precious enough to God that he would do a miracle to bring you home. Here's my point. This is the first practice that will inspire you this Advent. Take time to wonder at Yahweh's saving miracles during this Advent season. Maybe even choose one of these big miracles, one of these big saving works that really moves you, that you really enjoy. And as you take time to wonder, put yourself in that scene. Imagine what it might have been like. Ladies, imagine what it must have been like whether you've had a child or not, to have the Son of God gestating for nine months in your womb. What wonder Mary must have felt to have the promises of God's salvation coming to bear within her. Do you know what it did? It sparked a song in her heart, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. She sings in the Gospel of Luke, ladies, wonder at God's saving miracles. Kids, Put yourselves in the shoes of the children who were walking across the Red Sea when God parted it. Imagine it. What were they seeing? What were they thinking? What were they hearing and smelling? How did they think about God because of this wonderful miracle? Kids wonder at God's saving miracles. Men, imagine the day when Christ will return on a white steed to lay low his enemies once and for all. Look at the color and power of John's visions in the book of Revelation and enter into that day with wonder, that day of power, violence, justice, and victory. Enter into that space with your eyes wide open. Men, wonder at God's saving miracles. You have a song to sing. In this practice of meditating on, taking time to wonder at one of God's saving miracles, it'll help to inspire you. So let's take a quick moment and each of you jot down a miracle of God that you might like to spend some time meditating on this week. One of these miracles we mentioned or another one that really jumps out at you. So take a moment.
50s and people still writing, so I'll give you a second. So that's the first practice to help inspire your songwriting. Take time to wonder at Yahweh's saving miracles. You find five minutes, you got five minutes to kill, reflect on what God did. Put yourself in the shoes of the people that experienced it yourself. Take time to wonder at God's saving miracles. But here's a second practice that will inspire you. Write this one down. Number two is grapple with the freedom that God has promised you. Grapple with the freedom that God has promised you. Grapple with the freedom that God has promised you. So what happened because of all these saving miracles? When God set his people free, they were enslaved. They were trapped. They were imprisoned. They were dead in their sins and their transgressions. They were unable to save themselves. And then God set them free. Look back at verse 1. Second half. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. When God saves his people miraculously, they are then set free. They are given freedom. When Israel left Egypt, they were no longer under the domination of Pharaoh. They were free to go to Sinai and to the promised land. But what about you? How have you been set free? What promises has God made to you about your freedom? Grapple with that. Chew on questions like this. Before I met Jesus, to whom and to what was I enslaved? And am I living into the freedom that has been granted me through faith in the cross? Or am I pretending that I'm still enslaved in Egypt? Am I still thinking of myself in that old way? Or am I living into what it means to be new in Christ? Or think about Christ's return. How will that marvelous day set you free forever, even more fully? What will a life of perfect freedom on that day look like in contrast to this day and to before you knew Jesus? How will you be delivered when Christ returns? Grapple with the freedom that God has promised you now and forever. Now listen to this next thing. Let it sink into your heart. You don't have to write it down because it's too long. (laughs) Just listen to it and soak it in. In the past, present, and future miracles of God, You have been set free, you are being set free, and you will be set free. Say it again. In the past, present, and future miracles of God, you have been set free, you are being set free, and you will be set free. Grapple with that over the next four weeks. There are ways that you've already been set free through the miraculous hand of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus, in the coming of the Spirit. But there's still some freedom yet to be experienced. We expect to see it in increasing measure in this life, but you won't experience the freedom of a son of God fully until you're with Jesus. It's just like Israel in Exodus. So they're set free from Pharaoh and from enslavement in Egypt get sent to the wilderness only to find that they have a worse master, a worse enslavement, namely their own sin and their own doubt. Their hearts were hard and unbelieving, and they often acted like Egypt and the other nations rather than like children of God. 
They needed to be set free even more. Grapple with your own experience of that, and it will inspire you to sing. If you will look honestly at your own freedom or lack thereof, look at the ways that God has already set you free through his miraculous works. Long for more freedom in the present and look forward to an eternity when you will experience perfect freedom through the work of Christ. The book of Psalms is not an idealistic tome. Though the Psalms overflow with reflections on bondage and salvation, hope amidst the struggle, promises given to people in prison. So grapple with that in your own life, like the psalmist did, like John Bunyan did in prison. What flows forth from that grappling with God's promises is songs of joy, victory, and celebration, as well as songs of lament longing and expectation as we want to see ourselves living more into who we have been made in Christ. You may not feel free today. You believe the gospel. You know that your sins are forgiven and you know that you have hope ahead. But you don't feel that. So your song may not sound that way. As you grapple with your experience of freedom, your song will be different from the other people in this room, and that's okay. Grapple with the miracles of God and the freedom that has been promised and let the song flow forth. You have a song to sing. And this practice of grappling with the freedom that God has promised you will inspire you in your new song. So let's take a quick moment and each of you write down something about the freedom that you long for or that you've already experienced through God's saving miracles, a freedom you long for or a freedom that you've already experienced. Grapple with the freedom that is promised you in the gospel that's come to bear already in your life or that you are longing to see come to bear. Now, here's a third practice to help you in your songwriting that you can write down. Number three, I've got to turn my page already. Number three, seek your greatest refreshment. Seek your greatest refreshment in the character of of God. Seek your greatest refreshment in the character of God. Usually when I think of refreshment, I think of a refreshing beverage, ice cold water on a hot day, maybe jumping into a cool pool uh, in the middle of the summer. Winter and refreshment, uh, those Themes don't usually go together. I mean, maybe a candy cane could be refreshing. I don't think eggnog or hot apple cider are really all that refreshing. For me, I do love the cold. It's nice to go out into the cold and feel the warm sun in your skin. There's something refreshing about that to me, but that may just be my Viking DNA coming out. But what is it about the holiday season that refreshes you, that you enjoy? Maybe it's connecting with family or old friends. Maybe it's a a tradition that your family celebrates that refreshes you. Something, this is what we're looking for, something that makes you smile and, and find some rest. 
While all these things about the Christmas season are, are wonderful and many are designed by God for your good, there's a greater refreshment to be known in knowing and enjoying God. Look at verses 2 and 3 in our psalm. Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love, chesed, we've seen that just recently, his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. All these saving miracles that we've been talking about this morning, the exodus, the incarnation, Christ's resurrection, his return, one thing that they all share in common is this. They were done in public. They weren't hidden. They weren't hard to see. They were done in public. Verse 2 says, Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed in his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The plagues of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea weren't just seen by Israel. Egypt saw it. And the Canaanite peoples heard of it and trembled to know that Yahweh was drawing near to them. It was public. When Jesus was born, God put a star in the sky so that people from far away would know about it and come to see and tell Herod, the king, that the Messiah had been born. This was no secret. It was done in public. And when Jesus returns one day, every knee will bow because every eye will see and every ear will hear the coming of his divine majesty. Why? Why so public? Why are all these saving miracles done in this public fashion? Two reasons. First of all, write this down. God wants the world to know and enjoy him. God wants the world to know and enjoy him. I know this takes longer than the blanks. That's okay. Sermon shorter. God wants the world to know and enjoy him. He does these public acts of salvation to reveal himself so that people would know who he is and what he is like. These miracles show us something about God. He's a God of righteousness. He keeps his promises. He's a God of steadfast love, chesed, that idea we talked about a few weeks ago. What does it mean? God brings undeserving people into his family, and he loves them with his presence and his generosity. And though he is the God of Israel, his arms are open to the whole world, to all the nations. This is who our God is. So that's the first reason he does these acts in public, so that people would know him and enjoy him. But here's the second reason that goes in tandem with it, and you can write this down too. God wants us to see how unsatisfying the gods of this world are. God wants us to see how unsatisfying the gods of this world are. He's not only wanting people to know and enjoy him, but by contrast, God wants us to see how unsatisfying the gods of this world are. When the plagues of Egypt came, there was only one God that could protect people. Not Pharaoh, not the sun God, only Yahweh. When Christ came publicly, offering freedom from sin and death, no other God could do that. Not Herod, not Caesar, not Rome. And the pleasures of those nations pale in comparison to the 
beauty and majesty of Christ. And for the next four weeks, brothers and sisters, you're going to have a whole host of gods making offerings of refreshment to you. Promises will be made that if you give this gift or have this experience or attend this event, that will make your Christmas season worth it. Now, there's nothing wrong with gifts and parties and all that, but at the heart of the Christmas story, we find God. He who has revealed himself, who has shown his character publicly and gives himself to you not only for your salvation, but for your refreshment. Who is Yahweh? He's a powerful God who keeps his promises. He's a good God who's consistent in his character, pleasantly predictable in his kindness. He's a gracious covenant God who offers himself to us unconditionally. Here's the practice I want you to try out. You can write this down. This is the longest of all things you have to write down. It's all downhill from here. Observe the refreshment being offered to you by the world and see how Jesus is better. Observe the refreshment being offered by the world and see that Jesus is better, greater, more satisfying than the refreshment offered by the world. You have five minutes instead of looking at that catalog. Instead of scrolling through to see the events people are experiencing, seek refreshment in the person of Christ. He is the one who will refresh us so much more beyond these other gods, these other opportunities for worldly refreshment. You have a song to sing. And as you see these other offers of refreshment over the next four weeks, put them in contrast to the refreshment that Christ offers you, and you'll find yourself inspired to sing. Here's a final practice to inspire your song This year, number four, write it down. Number four, celebrate the new day that has dawned. Celebrate the new day that has dawned. Often when you see this theme of singing a new song popping up in the Bible, it's in the context of some huge transitional moment in history like some great victory has just happened or a king has just taken the throne. Or in the case of Revelation chapter 5, the resolution of God's promises is coming to be. It's in these huge world-changing moments that the Bible tells you, sing a new song. But why do we sing at Christmas? Why do we write a new song and sing a new song during this Advent season? It's to help you remember this, and you can write this down. The manger story leads to an empty tomb. The manger story leads to an empty tomb and a glorious return. The manger story leads to an empty tomb and a glorious return. Jesus was not born simply to die for our sins, but to be victorious over them. And then one day to return and to make all things right. These four weeks of Advent are about longing, looking forward to the future with hope. And we're not just looking forward to Christmas Day, we're looking forward to the return of Christ when he will make all things right. The birth of Jesus 
was the end of the world. It was the fulfillment of all God's promises when the Messiah came. And yet we still wait to see the consummation of all things upon his return. So as you celebrate this season, celebrate that a new day has dawned. Realize that the end game of history has come in the birth of Christ. We have hope ahead. And on that day, when Jesus returns, we will sing a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm will have worked salvation for us on that day. Yahweh will have made known his salvation, revealing his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Here's your final thing to write down. For inspiration, meditate on what the return of Christ will be like. Meditate on what the return of Christ will be like. As you meditate on that final day, informed by Christ's birth, death, and resurrection, meditating on that day will stir a new song in your heart. You have a song to sing. So, you got your journals. You got four practices. Just whenever you got a spare moment, moment to try out this week. And I believe every one of you has a new song to sing. And now, I wasn't born yesterday. I've been preaching for a long time. I know some of you are going to choose not to do this, and that's your loss. For some of you, time will be tight during Advent, and you won't get as far as you want to, and that's okay. No harm, no foul. But here's all I'm asking. Every one of you, take your journal home, keep it on you for these four weeks, and when you get a minute, look at these four practices and do just one. Just pick one of them. For five minutes, wonder at God's saving works. Just five minutes, grapple with the freedom that has been promised to you in Christ. For just five minutes, seek a greater refreshment in Christ than in the refreshment that's being offered to you. For just five minutes, meditate on the second coming of Jesus, the new day that has already dawned. And as you do those practices, this is all you need to do. Just jot down some words, some phrases that come to mind and seem poetic. Something that moves you or encourages you or challenges you. Don't worry about the music later. Don't worry about verses and choruses and all that. That stuff comes later. Just see how God directs your heart to write creatively as you're doing these four practices. Next week, we're going to start shaping these ideas and phrases that you have more formally into a song. But I really do believe it. Regardless of your age, regardless of your place in the journey of faith, I believe that every one of us has a song to sing, and I hope you'll have the courage uh, to give it a shot with me. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for these burgeoning songwriters and also for the, I guess, two or three seasoned songwriters that we have in the room. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sanctify our imaginations over the next four weeks, that we would be taking our minds and our hearts and focusing them on these good things Uh, that the psalmist brings to light in Psalm 98, that we would be reflecting on the saving miracles that you've accomplished, that we'd be grappling with the freedom that has been granted us in them, that we would be celebrating the new day that has dawned. Lord, help us engage with these practices over the next four weeks and give each of us a new song to sing that we might worship you uh, from the depths of our heart during this Advent season. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy of this season. Thank you for creativity. We praise your name, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.